afternoon, everyone. This is Stacey again with LSDS, and today I am back with Bill Haynes, and we are building on our last topic and his area of expertise, which is conflict resolution. But now with this one, we're going to explore some red flags, orange, maybe even yellow flags. What can be identified before we end up in a full-blown conflict situation? I think that might be the preference for most people is to not get to that full situation, right? Bill, thank you again for taking time to share more of your knowledge in this area. I know this is our part two, but again, if you don't mind giving us a mini introduction to yourself, that would be awesome. Sure, Stacy. thanks for having me again. It's, it's truly a pleasure to do these with you. So I'm Bill Haynes. I've got 30 years of special operations experience with the Rangers and special forces. Currently, I'm retiring from the military and trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. But I'm really excited about talking about our, our topic today. I'm excited to hear more about this. It's super helpful to know what to do in a conflict situation, how to handle it, the approach to it and everything. But then leading up to it, what are things that we can see red flags along yeah. the way. So we're going to dive into that more here today, but a little bit of background on this too. So that, I mean, yeah. we're definitely talking about people here. That's our main ingredient. Uh, what's the deal with people? What, are, what do we yeah. need to know about that? Yeah, Stacy, I think humans are pretty complex. Humans have needs, wants, communication preferences, which I think is one of the most overlooked angles to human beings. They have their perceptions, their understandings. And of course, I think the big thing here that probably gets in a lot of people's way is their ego. So I think for a leader, it's super important to, you know, kind of dive down on each of these topics, talking points here, their needs, wants, communication, preferences, perceptions, understanding, and ego when dealing with people in, not just in a conflict, but just in general, right? Hey, what's making this person tick? How do they prefer to communicate? And then how does their ego play into all this? That is incredibly true. And I kind of think about that, like not only the people you're working with, but being aware of these same pieces in yourself as well. Oh, and yeah. How, you know, and then how you might have missed someone else who might be very different from you. So it's the awareness of these topics is very, very key, I think, here. So keeping those in mind, everyone's taking those with them here while we move through this. So the I red flags, big thing here or next is how. Can we identify those early? Yeah. So I think early detection is super important, right? And it requires active leadership. And then that active leadership forces leaders to be present. It's, it's easy to get distracted as an executive leader and then forget to assess a person's motives, actions, or the words that they're saying. An intrusive leader is a person who really gets to know their people. and in, when you're conflicted with time management, where do you spend a lot of your time? Is it in all of the other things in executive management? Or is there a balance in there, which is what I believe? Because you have to take time to, to get to know your people. You have to be a good judge of people. Some people are better at this than others. But I think with our exposure to more people, you kind of become a better judge of character. And I don't have to say to judge the book by its cover before you actually open the book and kind of take a look and see what this person's about. But your first instinct, the more people you get to know, the better that first instinct becomes. I also think when we're talking about identifying red flags early, it's super important to surround yourself around 
maybe a small group of people, maybe one or two, if more, maybe great. But I think it's super important to surround yourself around people who you can trust, who can challenge your thoughts and ideas, your points of view, but do it in a way and they understand that once a decision is made, we're done talking about it. But it's super important to have those kind of people around you as an executive leader. I also think it's super important to surround yourself with a few people that you can trust that's going to help bring calm to the situation and give clarity. Because as an executive leader, you tend to get really super deep into a, a certain aspect of running the business. It may be a monetary thing. It may be performance-based. But whatever's driving your attention to a specific thing, everything else becomes a deficit. And so those other people, that helps kind of bring that clarity, that calm, and that challenges your points of view and your ideas. Super important, Stacey. I have. I like this a lot. And I, I want to ask a question on these last two points you made here, surrounding yourself with people who trust to challenge your points of view, and then also who create calm when things are uncertain. Do you recommend that those people be within your place of work or line of work or outside of it or both? Yeah, I think clearly it's a it's a combination of both. It's super enlightening to have somebody outside of work that you can get that perspective because it slows you down a little bit more to explain more of the situation so they can understand it. It gives you an outside point of view. But I also think that the balance there is having people within the organization because it's all about building the team, right? And a person may identify that really the big value that they offer you is that sage counsel, whether it's the the calm uh, in uncertain times or it's the just your perspective that needs to be challenged. That's huge. I think to have that understanding of this spread there. These people don't necessarily have to only be in their place of work, which can be helpful. But that point you made about having to explain something outside of it to someone can help you see things on a more granular level. Like you, you really have to explain it now. You can't just intuit, oh, we're used to this. We're used to that. I see that happen a lot. Eh, but then you forget to explain certain small places in there that are critical to it, really. So, That's, that is yeah. very true. <laughs> I like that a lot. Okay, so what are some red flags? What are some pretty common ones? I Obviously, I'm sure there's could be a massive list here, but what are some of the big ones that we could be looking for? Yeah, so I think the first one in a company that's probably a tall tale sign that you have some conflict issues is a dysfunctional meetings. So if your meetings are argumentative, unengaged coworkers, if you have those in the meeting, or if you have people in the meeting that are counterproductive in the comments they make or in their points of views that they express, there's probably some underlining conflict there. I also think that employees that demonstrate anger responses to, to situations is a big concern. And it should be a red flag that goes up. And I'm not talking about the one-offs, right? I'm talking about a consistent pattern of an anger response. Probably something to start digging down on and trying to figure out what's causing that that anger. If you can pick up as a leader, distrust. And that's amongst leaders. That's from employees to leaders, but that's also even within employees, right? If there's distrust, and that's and we could talk about that one forever, but that distrust is something that you have to again, this is 
an executive leader being able to power down and pay attention to what's going on in their in their workplace. And I think here's another big one. I mean, we face this off and on in the military as well, is the formation of cliques, right? Because mm-hmm. cliques typically are self-empowering. And that's the reason why people start to create those. The corrosive part to your organization is that it redirects loyalties from the organization to this clique. And that's how it undermines the organization in itself. And I don't want that to be misconstrued as click forming is pride that one section has that seems ultimately super high or they're highly motivated, highly proud to be in a certain section within your company. That's not it. Typically, clicks form at that place of work and then it extends beyond work. And you'll know, right? Your gut will tell you when there's a self-serving empowerment thing going on or loyalties are starting to be redirected. So be very careful with it for that and looking out for that one. I also think repetitive disagreements. You may have a disagreement. It was settled weeks or months ago and an employee or a subordinate leader is unable or unwilling to move on. And they continue to build their narrative based off of that experience. Stacy, and then there's a couple of other things here that's super critical to note here. A person starts to have inappropriate communications by email, by phone, in conversation, gestures, body language, all of those things, right? And that's another one we could talk for hours about, but mm-hmm. inappropriate, com- inappropriate communication is definitely something to be looking out for. I think an obvious one that I think most people use as their main plant of a red flag is when their employees start to avoid them or subordinate leaders start to avoid them. Yeah. But I think that, but I think that avoidance one, Stacy, is one that you've already probably missed several cues at, at that point. And then there's one here, Stacy, that I really, really want to hopefully get, you know, executive leaders to, to understand is that abrasive leaders. And these are typically your mid-level leaders. They work hard in your company. They've been productive. They've been successful. They get promoted to the next level. And they think that the same thing that got them there is what they have to demonstrate as a leader. And leadership is much more complex than that. And so, but what you have to really be attention to, I think everybody is understanding of maybe a, a marginally abrasive leader. It's when an abrasive leader starts to become corrosive. And there's a real fine line there. Clearly, abrasive leaders, if they're not mentored correctly, can evolve into corrosive leaders. So that's where really I think a lot of companies miss the mark because you have confidence in those junior leaders that are just stepping up, high performers, and that transition period. If you don't mentor and develop them correctly, they tend to turn out to be those abrasive slash corrosive leaders. Gotcha. Yes bringing back memories. I can I have some examples in my head of like different people that you're talking about, types of leaders, that sort of thing too. So this is, yeah, no, those are great to look out for and everything. Leading into the next part, because you said in the part one, you took conflict and called it an opportunity, which yeah. is a really different spin on, I think how most people conflict that word is just like, oh, it's a negative thing, but it's really, it can be and should be turned into an opportunity which I really appreciated that in there, that spin on it. So how do we take these as a leader? How do you take these red flags, combination of them, one, two, all of them, I don't know, and turn them into opportunities here? And I'm cheating a little bit because I can see the outline. 
And you've broken this down into like four different categories of opportunity, space for opportunity here. So this is, so the first one you have leader opportunity on here. And I, we're going to go through these four. And this is really good stuff. I like this. So the leader opportunity you have on here first. Now, do these need to go in order though? I'll ask that before we get into them. Or can they be a different combination depending on the situation? Yeah, I think it depends on the situation. At, at some points, one of these category um, topics may be dominant, right? Where you, you might learn more about yourself or you may learn more about the person or you may learn more about communication. It's really a developmental thing based off the situation and then what becomes the golden nugget to solve that conflict or to transform that conflict. So it's a really good point. And I think that conflict, a lot of people will look at that initial disagreement with an employee, with, with a fellow coworker as a point of tension, friction. And we start to turn inward, we start to do all those things. But if we look at it and think to ourselves, well, look, as a leader, it's an opportunity for me to build the team, to build trust. Because if you can have tough conversations and at the end of it, if it brings you closer together and builds a better team, people will start having more trust in you as a leader that that you actually listen to them and that your mind can be changed and that you seek and value their opinions. It's an opportunity for leaders to bring depth to the work relationship, you know, that relationship between coworkers, subordinate leaders and coworkers, or even in, in often cases, the executives to to their workforce. It's an opportunity for leaders to model best practices and behavior and demonstrating organizational values. Because if you say you value people, if you say you value their opinions and that you're a bottom-up organization, well, if you can't have those tough conversations without it turning into a volcanic eruption, then you're not really doing the things that you say you do. So there's that say, say, do gap. One of the biggest things in these conflict type environments is a leader's opportunity to demonstrate empathy. Do I try my very best to understand the person? Do I demonstrate that I value the person? And do I demonstrate that I actively listen and I really try to employ a thought or a recommendation or try to change what's causing this conflict to be so dominant in the uh, workplace at the time. So leader opportunity is super important to understand. I like that one a lot. So that's our first one. That's our first one. So second one here, get to know your people. I like this. Yeah. And it leads off very well off of what you talked about, of the opportunity to build the team. So this one it seems another separate opportunity and it could be one you do first, but this one too, I like this a lot. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of times, which when you really get to know a person is when there's that strike, it could be pressure from the outside. It can be pressure from within an organization, but as a leader, if you're really being observant, if you're really paying attention to what the person is saying, how they're saying it, what their body language is telling you, Hopefully what you can do is you can garnish from all of that and you can demonstrate the shared values and the shared beliefs between you, them, and the company. And that's super important. Mm -hmm. If you're super observant and you're really trying to get to know people, you can figure out what motivates them, what truly motivates them. And if you can figure out what motivates people, you can shape 
your conversations so that it addresses their motivation and it gets them to buy into what you're saying. Super important. You can identify how they like to communicate. And hopefully during this conversation that you're having, and maybe over multiple conversations, but one of the things that I think works out really well is if you ask the employee, hey, how do you prefer to have this conversation? And to figure out what really makes them click in, in communication. And here's the thing, whenever there's adversity, and I touched on this earlier, from outside, from within, from home life, home life will affect work performance. The bottom line is, if you guys truly try to work together on this conflict, not against each other, it's not you against them, it's the both of you or the group working towards that the, the solving the issue, mm-hmm. it will help establish shared experience. And those are shared experiences where you build the team, Stacey. Yes. Yep. And then ultimately, we need to know the value of the personality assessments. I think as corporate leaders, I think that all too often, we don't do enough of those. And then we don't assess what those results and those personality assessments are to really get to know the person as we're hiring them so that we understand how they communicate. We understand what motivates them. We understand all of these multiple layers of complexity of two people. And I think if we did a better job with that, and if you reviewed those before you, you got into a conflict transformation or conflict resolution type engagement, it would be very beneficial to those executive leaders. I like that. And we're going to dive into that one more too. The personality assessments, personalities, how that factors in here too with the conflict stuff. That might be in part three, just spoiler alert there. But then for us, we've got our two categories we've talked about now, the leader opportunity, get to know your people, that opportunity there, it's just covered on. This next one I is one of my favorites. I always like... I don't know why I like diving into this when anything comes up. I'm always like, okay, what did I do? And what could I have done better? I yeah. like to do um, after action review myself almost all the time. So this is the next opportunity. Get to know yourself. So I'm curious to hear what you've got for this area. I'm going to add. Yeah. Yeah. Stacy, I, I tell you, I think every good leader as a junior leader, you may do less of this. I think it comes with age. It comes with wisdom. It comes with seeing other executive leaders or senior leaders do the same and having those honest conversations with people they mentor. But knowing yourself is super important, right? Knowing what your biases are and being honest with yourself, what those biases are. And then trying to be a better person and trying to mitigate those biases as much as possible. But these situations where conflict arise and then you and you, you understand and you within yourself like, hey, how well did I just handle that situation or what do I need to do next? Super important. It's important to understand what your tendencies are and understanding those what your tendencies are. You should ask yourself a few questions. First one, how do I know what I believe is true? Next question, what if I am wrong? What assumptions have I made? And then the last question. How would someone with different values and experiences see things? If you answer those or ask yourself those four questions going into a conflict type environment and you're really wanting transformation of that conflict, you should ask yourself those questions and it will help. And if you can't be honest with yourself, that's fine, right? Because sometimes we're really 
passionate about stuff. We really take a, there's a visceral response to certain people, certain environments, certain things. But that goes back to earlier when we talked about, hey, have those trusted people around you, people that bring calm, uh, the people that can help you challenge your own thoughts and and beliefs, um, because they may be able to help you get to the points that you have here on the four questions that I just brought up. That, okay, yeah, I was thinking about that. That's awesome to be able to, and here's where you can utilize them to help you through this. Right. Very cool. Okay, yep, there they are, there to help. So final opportunity that we have here that we're going to discuss in this one here anyway, is you have as challenge yourself to lead through them. So where are we going? What are we doing with that part? Yeah. So I think one of the things that young leaders who really develop quickly and get moved into senior positions rather quickly, or you're an entrepreneur and you're starting your own company and, and you really don't have a large bandwidth of experience dealing with people or really being able to relate to the majority of your workforce, I think it's super important to understand that it's difficult to always be told what to do, what to say, what to think. Some professions, there's more of a strict delineation on what people's roles and responsibilities are. Mm-hmm. But what I found in, in my experience in the military Special operations soldiers leading them can be pretty challenging at times. I think if you give people ownership, if you build inclusion, if you help them when they need support, and then if you always evaluate your people, super important. I think if you do those things, if especially the give them ownership, you can squash a lot of the additional drama because from the sidelines, it's easy to watch the game and criticize what's going on in the field. If you're on the field, you've got a whole different perspective. So empower your employees, get them involved, and you're going to probably get a lot less anger, misunderstandings. They're going to be involved. They're going to have some say. They're going to have to contribute to a solution, not the, you know, they don't, they don't get the opportunity then to pull everything down and criticize it. I hope that makes sense, Stacey. Because then they're almost criticizing and pulling themselves down if you've trusted them with it. So that's much that they want to do that. You had one point in here that says always elevate your people. How are you? How? What's an example of that? Oh, yeah. So the thing is, again, it's easy to be the employee on the sideline criticizing the main game that's going on at the field at the time. Mm hmm. But it's also important for the bosses, the, the leaders of an organization to elevate their people and to trust them and their decisions. That elevation, you take the opportunity to make people feel good, feel valued, and you demonstrate that by deed and action. That goes a long way, Stacy, and help building that team dynamic that you want within your organization. Thank you for like going into more detail on that one, because that is critical to feel valued, genuinely valued, or if it's weight in gold and then some. I, uh, so we've we've covered these four opportunity areas, which I like. So let's say we've, you're a leader, you've identified some red flags coming up. There could be some serious conflict brewing. You're doing your best to go after these opportunities, try to fix the issue before it becomes something bigger. You've worked hard to do this, all of it. What if it's just not working out, not clicking? What What do you do then? Yeah. So I think this is where it gets difficult because. I think if we're going to be honest with ourselves and if we're good leaders, 
This is the point where nobody wants to be at. You don't want to be there as a, as a leader, having to have that conversation of letting somebody go. And we don't want to do that to people because we know that it's going to affect livelihoods. It's going to affect careers. It's going to have a cascading effect in a person's life that we can all empathize with. And we don't want to necessarily be a part of that. However, I think it's super important for leaders within an organization to understand that there is a time when you need to fire somebody. And here's the thing. This is my measuring measuring stick on this. If the distraction from the mission is not equal to their value for the company, then that's when you know you need to make take it to uh, let them go. Now, I do think that a good leader should take time out of their day, maybe quarterly, maybe annually, to think to map out and think through that beforehand. Like, what are my markers that I'm going to say when this person reaches this, this threshold within my organization? This is a line that's drawn and it says, this is the action I'm going to take. It has to be mapped out. That way it becomes an unemotional event and it becomes something that you can reflect back on. You've got it written down. You can go through it and you go, I'm thinking about firing this person. What did I say about this when I was unemotional and tempers weren't heated or the situation didn't cost me X amount of dollars? What did I say my thresholds were? So that's super important. I think during this process, you need to show empathy, but be super direct. Right? I think it's horrible when when leaders kind of drag out the things that need to be said that really they only need to hear a few words and then maybe give them the opportunity to come back a day or two later to have a, a follow on discussion. But at the time, it needs to be short. It needs to be direct. It's important also for everybody within the company to understand that. The welfare of a person is important. As I started out with, there's a whole cascading effects within this person's life when you fire them. But it is important for people to be taken care of. But what's most important is the survival of a company. And so I think that's where we all kind of understand the necessary process of firing somebody because it's for the betterment of the company. Just needs to be well laid out prior to emotions taking hold. And we need to show empathy. And we need to know when it's time, when the dysfunction of the distraction of the mission is not equal to the value the person is giving the company. That's that's super important to understand, Stacey, I think. I really like these steps. And one of them that stood out to me when you talked about mapping it out beforehand, where is that line, that definitive line, or if this is crossed, this is going to be what happens. It almost seems like that would be a super beneficial thing to do in general before you have any sort of red flags identified or anything within a company, before you have a specific person in mind or situation in mind. It may be you have to tailor it to a certain situation, but it's almost kind of like a a best practice to do that ahead of time before there's any sort of biases that have come in to the decision at all. I would recommend that people do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of those things that as you're running a company, it becomes one of those things that falls off the plate of all the other important things that one has to do to manage their section, to manage a company. And so it becomes one of those things that we pay little attention to. And then the fault is in that way of doing business is that now when you're making that decision, you're doing your outline based off of some emotion that's typically what happens. There is usually people's blood pressures go up, our hearts start to race, adrenaline starts to pump when we're at that point. 
And, and to be honest, we're not thinking our clearest at that point. So it's super important to have that mapped out. And I think that's probably the little gold nugget from from this part of the podcast here is map out what those red lines are within an organization. For sure. I like that a lot. So it, that kind of wraps up our outline here, but I, I really appreciate the time to go over this red flag portion. I think that's really, really important. It really does tie into part one as well. Any final notes, thoughts, questions, or kind of wrap up notes that you yeah. have before we sign off here? Yeah, Stacey, I think, again, we covered this in the last podcast, and I think it's super important to remember for this podcast is curious before furious. When these red flags start to pop up, you need to be curious about it first and then ask good questions and have that one-on-one conversation or do a grassroots meeting within the organization to figure out what is the position, what is the thought process for the people that that I'm identifying these red flags on. I think it's super important to remember Thug, the ultimate, the highest ultimate good. The value of it within an organization is my position's here, your position here. The highest ultimate good is what's best for the company. And that'll help keep you on point. And that'll give you a good azimuth on the direction you and your company and the people within the company need to go in because it is ultimately about the welfare of the company. And then Lastly, and I absolutely love this one a lot because a lot of young leaders out there will forget this. Do right. Don't just be right. If you work at doing right more than you value just being right, you will be a more effective leader. Perfect. I love that. I love it. Very simple ties into the last one, too, and you can see how it connects with this whole process here as well of identifying these red flags taking those opportunities to work with them and course correct there as well. Thank you so much, Bill. This was really instructive. A lot of really good stuff in here. You have a couple more books and articles, I believe, that will be attached to this podcast as well for reference for folks to check out. Anything to add on those? Are these the same as the other one or different? Well, I think they're similar. There's some some of the same articles and some of the same books, but we've added one of the books onto the list and I think it's a really good read. I'm going to love, love your feedback on that book if you get a chance to read it. When I took a look at this book and I read through it, identifying kind of like behavior of people mm-hmm. by, by color, it was pretty interesting. I could see my wife as this, this type of a person. I can identify coworker X as this kind of a person. And then you kind of realize like what motivates them and generally how do they like to communicate? Are they more of a introvert or an extrovert? What's the thing that makes them tick? It's it's a really good read. I can't wait to at least get your feedback on it, the podcast listeners' feedback on, on this book. And which title was that for reference for folks here? The name of the book actually is Surrounded by Idiots by Thomas Erickson. Great read, and it helps, I think, for the reader to kind of categorize people by, by batches, and it helps with what makes them tick? What what are they thinking? How are they expressing it? And just another great read to understanding people. That's fantastic. Okay, we will have links to these books attached to this podcast too, so people can check them out from there. I definitely want to read this book and give you feedback on that. I nerd out on this stuff a lot. Personality types, that sort of thing is just really fascinating to me. And that kind of leads into the part three that we want to do on this too. So still discussing conflict resolution, 
but kind of talking about different personality types and how they play into and work with and around through conflict resolution, correct? Correct. And uh, yeah, and I think it's going to be super ins insightful and I'm really looking forward to that, that third podcast. Wonderful. So that'll be coming up. Thank you for listening, everyone. And we will be back soon with more on this topic. Um, in the meantime, you can always reach us via email. You're going to get most of the company. There are several eyes on the risk mitigation at lsds.us email address. Or you can contact us via our website, which is lsds.us. We've got a contact us form on there. You can check out our other podcasts on there as well, including part one of this series. And we will have part three coming up here soon. Again, thank you, Bill, so much. And we will talk to everybody soon. Yep. Thanks, Stacey. I appreciate you having me. Thank you.